I'm glad that I got that sick, but it made me realize just how bad this is because I really, because of the lifestyle that I live, I really had an understanding. I was like, it wasn't a great idea that I went and got implants like that. That wasn't the smartest decision that I've ever made, but I like the way they look and it's okay. I'm fine until I wasn't fine. This season of Reconditioned is made possible thanks to Hifastatera and I'm a little bit obsessed with them and I want to tell you why. So if you follow me on social media, you'll know I talk about mushrooms a fair bit. Yes, I am that wild and no, not the psychedelic kind. Not this time anyway. I've known about the crazy health benefits of medicinal mushrooms for a while, especially after watching Fantastic Fungi on Netflix, but I never found a brand that I fully trusted. And then I came across Hifas Terra, and I am not exaggerating when I say it has been life-changing. They have medicinal mushroom products to support autoimmune diseases, allergies, hormonal imbalances, gut health, brain function, emotional well-being, musculoskeletal issues, the list is endless. And because they're one of the few mycotherapy companies to actually carry out clinical trials on their products, they've been able to develop their Onco range, specifically for cancer. And potentially my favourite, they have products for children's immune systems and the gut-brain axis. Great for ADHD, sensory issues and gut support. These have got my kids through this winter of illness and they've made a huge difference to my son's sensory challenges. I'm swearing by them. Hifastatera mushrooms are not only certified organic, but they use the fruiting body of the mushroom as opposed to the root, which even the so-called top mycotherapy companies are not doing because it's more time-consuming and more expensive, but Hifas are. Spoiler, you get more benefits from the fruiting body, which is one of the reasons HIFAS products are more effective. The concentration and content of their products are also much higher than standard brands, and the company are constantly striving for quality, effectiveness and safety, putting over 60% of their profits back into research. These products have changed my life, and I want you all to have access to this level of healing. So visit hifasdaterra.co.uk that's H-I-F-A-S-D-A-T-E-R-R-A dot co dot UK and use code Lauren15 for 15% discount. Thank you so much to Hifas Terra. Hi, I'm Lauren Vaknin and you're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast. I created this podcast following my journey from severe disability since infancy to complete wellness as a way to share my passion of healing the whole self. Because I learned in my own journey to wellness and through my two decades in the wellness industry, that it makes no difference what you're here to heal. It all requires the same whole person approach. We tackle everything from trauma, health optimization and neuroplasticity to manifestation, holistic parenting and everything in between to help you create an optimized life of well-being, abundance, self-mastery, and purpose. You're not meant to live a life of stagnation and you're not meant to be just fine. So hang around and let me help you recondition your life back to wholeness. Hello, welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to Reconditioned again. Uh, I'm 
really, really, I don't even know if I want to use the word excited. I'm something about bringing this episode to you with my very good friend, Rain Dunn. Uh, Rain is my, um, like my everything person. We've never actually even lived in the same country. And yet we've been the best of friends for many years after meeting um, in Israel many years ago through a mutual friend. Uh, and we just, our lives are completely aligned and just so synchronistic and parallel all the time. It's crazy. Um, and I often bring her onto the podcast to talk about important topics. She's been on twice before, so do go back and have a listen to those episodes. Um, but this one is important because we're talking about breast implant illness and breast implant toxicity from our own perspective and our own personal experience and the research we've done as a result. Um, It is a very important episode. It's kind of a long episode, but I do think you will enjoy hearing about our experiences, hearing about what we learn about breast implant toxicity, breast implant illness, what's in breast implants, the kind of symptoms women are experiencing, why many women who say they think they're okay are not actually okay, um, and everything you need to know about breast implant illness. And I also say in the episode, that this illness isn't, this uh, episode is not just for women who have breast implants or who might be thinking about getting breast implants. This is an episode about informed choice and listening to this will help you understand that so much of what we're told in modern society through our healthcare systems is misinformation because we are not given all the information we need in order to be able to make a decision from a place of informed choice. So that's what this episode is about and I really would love you to listen to the end and when you listen to this, if you have experience and this is speaking to you in any way, it's making sense to you or it's made you make a decision not to get implants, however this episode speaks to you, please come on to my Instagram on the post that I will post about this episode um, and talk to Rain and I about it because we would love to connect with you. Um, So please do that. Um, So enjoy the episode and as usual I would love to ask you if you enjoy this podcast to leave me a five-star rating and a review uh, because it really helps other people, it helps push the podcast up into other people's awareness um, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So the more reviews there are, the more this podcast is likely to be seen on other people's um, uh, phones or devices that they may not have seen otherwise if they're interested in these kind of topics. So your reviews really, really help. And um, I, yeah, we just, I mean, it doesn't take long. It takes a few seconds. Just leave me a good review and let's push this podcast that is here to empower people in their well-being higher up the charts. Um, so thank you for being here and enjoy this episode with me and Rain Dunn speaking about breast implant toxicity. Hello, my beautiful friend. Hello, my love. Thank Hello. you for having me on again. You're so welcome. I, you're like one of my favorite people to have on. You, mm-hmm. I always say you are the, um, I know it's still crazy that we've never lived in the same country and yet you are like my person. You just get me. You get me potentially more than anyone. You just get it. Yeah. How, exactly long, how long ago was it that we met? When was it that you were living in Israel? Um, hmm. 
I, that was in 2012. I remember because it was the Soccer World Cup in South Africa and I missed it. So yeah, it was 2012 when I was living in Israel. No, I met you way before that. I met you before I met Daniel and I met him in t- 2010. But then I think we met not when I was actually living in Israel. Uh, it was just like one of my trips to Israel. So yeah. it might have been like 2010, 2009. Yeah, it was like I at least 2008 no or something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. here we are all these years later, still never lived in the same country. Um, but talking about all the same things, trying to promote the same things and teach people about the same things. Um, so we are going to talk about breast implant illness. Um, yes. Of course, before we go into that, what have you done so far today to support your wellness? Uh, I'm actually so glad that I get to talk about this right now because I just like quickly did a a video that I want to share to my Instagram later because it got me so excited. So today is the first day back at school um, for the year. So, and like sort of first day of getting back and everything. So I dropped my son off at school and then I went for my first horse riding of the year so Mm. I rode my horse which is always beautiful and very soul nourishing for me as well as it being exercise and getting fresh air outdoors and then normally once I'm done riding I go to the market so it's the first time I've been able to go to the market this year so it's been like a month of not being able to get my normal produce and I was so excited. I spent like an hour at the market. I had a long chat with the greengrocer. I had a long chat with the butcher. Then I had a fat catch-up with the dairy lady. And it just felt like so nourishing and good uh, to be directly interfacing with the people who are actually producing or sourcing my food. And it's all small producers. The dairy is grass-fed, A2 Jersey. I specifically order raw Um and I bought some interesting venison today. I got bush pig, which I haven't tried before. Wow. And like the veggies are all pesticide free. And yeah. yeah, so I just like felt really good after that. I love that because it's like, and this is what all kind of the the great minds of our time are talking about, right? Like community, communing again with the people that are creating and, and offering and having that, like you say, interfacing between human beings. This person is growing the very thing that's going to nourish you. And then you get to have a conversation and offer that exchange of energy and gratitude. It's like this whole kind of cycle of exchange of energy. And I love oh. that. That's what got me so excited and inspired and why I felt like I have to share this on my Instagram, because I think it's something that has really been lost to a large degree in our modern society. Mm -hmm. And people are so used to just going to a big convenience store that's run by a massive corporation. And there's no direct contact with the people who are actually producing your food. And on an energetic level, it's vastly different when you are actually having a conversation with the person who is growing or producing your food and you can ask them like what are your practices like where did this come from um whereas when you go to the shop you don't really know what you're getting or what's behind it how right. ethical it is how ecologically sound it is so yeah and anyone but- who understands quantum physics will tell you that even that exchange of energy between you and the person who grew, grew your food and having that exchange will change the vibrational frequency of the food as you're eating it and therefore how it nourishes your body. Exactly. That's exactly what I said in the video. That experience of going to the market and very consciously choosing my food, speaking to the people who produced it, 
uh, it just like infuses the food with a different energy. So I bring that food home and I, I eat it, I feed it to my family and it's got a different energy because of that, that exchange. I love that you brought that up and I love that you said, because I know you've meditated and done your breath work today, but I love that you spoke about that as something you've done to support your wellness because supporting our wellness is like so many different things, right? Not just doing the breath work or having cold shower. It's interesting because on my, I just recently recorded my hundredth episode that when we're, you and I are recording this now, this isn't going to go out a little bit after, but this we're recording this the day after my hundredth episode was released. Um, and when Jasmine was interviewing me because I was being interviewed and I was so worried about the technical and they had so many things to worry about, not to worry about, but to focus on when she asked me what have I done so far to support my wellness, which should be something that I should have been so prepared for. I literally forgot all the things I'd done. I didn't mention my cold shower. I didn't mention my oil pulling, my whole like oral, you know, hygiene yeah. routine. I didn't mention my lemon water. I did like, I did, I literally was like, oh, I've done gratitude and I've uh-huh. done breath work. And yeah, I don't even know, like, yeah, crazy. I, That's I hilarious just got so busted. Yeah. You're so known for that question. <laughs> I know. And also, like, I want people to know, I literally genuinely have a cold shower every morning. It is the dead of winter here. Like, I'm talking to you. You're in South Africa. It is the summer. You're wearing a beautiful, flowy, floaty thing. And I'm in a big old sweatshirt. But it's the dead of winter. And I'm still having my cold showers. And I was, like, ready to talk about that and open up about, you know, immune resilience and why I'm doing that. And I forgot everything. So hopefully everyone listened to that episode will listen to this. <laughs> um, anyway, so we are here to talk about breast implant toxicity, which is something that is gaining a little bit more traction on social media, but not yet in mainstream media. But we are seeing a lot of people talk about it on the socials. Um and you and I both have personal experience with it. And as with everything with you and I, it's completely aligned and synchronistic and everything's like us living parallel lives with things happening at the same time. So we both kind of came to this around the same time. We both went through our explants around the same time. So I want this episode to be um, an education for anyone who has breast implants, who's thinking about getting breast implants, as with anything with health and healthcare, for anyone to listen to it, to understand, because this isn't just about breast implants. This is about misinformation. This is about informed choice. And this is taking one topic and thinking, right, well, then how can that translate into other things? Because I know when I speak to clients or friends or whoever it might be about certain things that I talk to them, you know, with regards to informed choice, they're like, wow, how did I not know about this? What other decisions have I made for me or for my children that I didn't know all the information on because I didn't ask or because no one told me. So this episode isn't just for women who have had implants or thinking about implants. This is for everyone. Mm. And before we go into the research that you and I have done um, on what breast implant toxicity is, what breast implant illness is, ingredients, um, you know, associated conditions. I'd like us to talk about our own experiences um, and also to kind of show that this is, as always, no judgment on anyone who has had breast implants because you and I both had that as well, Mm -hmm. but to make sure women understand the very real risks and make decisions like this from a place of informed choice. So could you talk to us about your 
personal experience why you decided to get implants in the first place because I think that's important as well for women to hear um and why you decided to have an explant and everything in between okay so let's start let's like go way back and start Mm -hmm. right at the beginning so I always naturally had very nice full breasts and I developed quite early so already by the age of 13 14 I had nice big breasts so I think it became very much part of my identity because I had big boobs before the other girls at school did so you know that has a big impact on you as you're developing as a teenager um and so yeah I just I always had lovely big breasts um all through my teens my early 20s and then I had my son when I was 26. When I was pregnant, they became ginormous, like huge. <laughs> and then when I started breastfeeding, got even bigger. Um, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm not like big into bras, so I can't really give you an exact size, but I'm sure it, 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 like they must have been an E at least. Mm. Um, they were really, really big. And then I breastfed for uh, 13 months. And once I weaned him, they just started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And what bothered me more than the smallness was the droopiness. Um, they, they just, they literally looked like big balloons that had emptied out and were just like these hangy sacks. I was also really skinny at the time, like much skinnier than I am now. And um, that's probably because that was my raw vegan phase. (laughs) (laughs) Another topic for another day. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, And also there was a lot of emotional stuff going on with you. It wasn't like you were trying to be skinny. It was, there was a lot of stuff happening in your life. Yeah. That contributed to you eating differently. And that was towards the end of my marriage. Mm -hmm. And I was very unhappy. Um, I felt very lost. I felt like I didn't know who I was. Um, and I was really like, I had a deep yearning to find myself and find my place in the world. But at that time, I didn't feel like that was an option for me. I felt like I'd picked my life and now I have to deal with it. <laughs> so of course that contributed a lot to like what was going on with me internally and emotionally that contributed towards this decision where um, I just was not happy with my breasts anymore. And I can very, very clearly remember not having such an issue with having small boobs, even though I was used to having big boobs, because I actually find small boobs very attractive as well. It's Mm. not like I have a preference for large over small. They're different and they're beautiful in a different way. So it wasn't having small breasts that really bothered me. It was how they looked. Mm. Like I hated the way that they looked. And um, so decided that I needed to fix it because also just the, the circles that I moved in at that time, that was normal. Mm-hmm. It was what everybody did. It was very mm-hmm. accepted. Um, nobody questioned it. And so I just sort of like allowed myself to be brainwashed into thinking that it's very normal. And it kind of was a weird decision for me to make in hindsight because mm-hmm. Up until that point, I had always thought that getting a boob job was lame, (laughs) to just be frank about it. Like, Mm. you know, I thought that women should just be happy with whatever size breast they have. And in addition to that, I was putting a huge amount of effort into 
cleaning up my lifestyle and eating healthily. And I'd like done a complete overhaul of my home and the products that I used and I was eliminating all toxins. So I was pouring all of this energy into being healthy, quote unquote. It was even like now I can see that it was a little bit obsessive and therefore unhealthy. Mm. Um, Whereas now 10 years on, I found more of a balance. Mm. So anyway, decided to do something about it, went to a surgeon and my first thought was just to get a lift. And the surgeon spoke me out of that (laughs) by saying that, you know, I'm still so young and a lift is not a good idea because it leaves horrible scars. And the best way to lift your boobs is to put in an implant. Mm -hmm. And also because I had so much excess skin, like there was so much space because they went from being so big to then so small. He convinced me that an implant was the best decision. And of course, then I, you know, I thought I could trust the surgeon. He knows what he's talking about. And then I started thinking, well, well, okay, then, then I can get my old big boobs back. Won't that be nice? And at that time, my understanding of implants was that silicone was an issue, but saline is safe. Mm-hmm. And we'll get later, we'll get into exactly why that is not true. Like, I want to make yep. that very clear. Saline is just as much of an issue as silicone. For other reasons, yeah. yeah. But that's what I thought at the time. So I was very clear about the fact that I wanted saline implants, not silicone. And so, yeah, I had the boob job. I was very happy with how they looked. It, it just felt normal to me because I was back to like my normal regular size pre-pregnancy. Um, and yeah, I was just happy with them. Didn't have any issues with like healing, healed up really quick. And I thought everything was fine. Uh, When I had the surgery, I was made aware of the fact that after about 10 years, I would need to have them replaced. But of course, at the age of, I think I was 29 at the time. Yeah, I was 29. I was just like, geez, 10 years, that's so far in the future. Like, I'll worry about that when I get there. (laughs) And what did he tell you the reason was for having, for needing to have them removed after 10 years? think he really gave me a reason yeah, he just said you know they're they're not lifetime devices you have to get them changed mm-hmm. after 10 years and I didn't question it I was just like mm-hmm. okay whatever because now I'd be like if something's going to expire if you like and have an expiration date I was told 10 to 15 exactly. years then what's in it that causes that and what's it doing in my body when it's going to start expiring yeah and like the crazy thing for me now looking back is how did I not think about the fact that if I'm getting implants at the age of 29, let's call it 30, that means at 40, I have to replace them. Mm. Then what? At 50, I replace them again. And at Mm. 60 again, at 70 again, like when do you stop? You don't think about it at the time because you're just like, I'm going to get implants. And when you're in that situation of thinking about making your body be more acceptable to you in your view of what acceptable means at that time, you're just focused on that. You're like, I'll deal with the consequences later. Like my like Daniel always says, like, buy now, worry later. Yeah, <laughs> I don't let him do that anymore. Like, he'll buy a couch and be like, we don't need to measure it. It's fine. Just buy it. You know, but it's like that thing, you know? So yeah. you're 29 years old and you're thinking, I'm going to think about what I'm going to do when I'm 50 or 60. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important just to like reiterate 
as we're talking, I'm thinking back and where I was at, like at that exact moment in time, when I had the surgery, emotionally, psychologically, I was not okay. I was in a really bad place. I was really struggling. Nobody knew it. I had not spoken to anybody about it. I was hiding it all. I was just stuffing it all down. But this, I mean, this was only six months before my marriage imploded. So, mm. you know, I'm sure women can imagine if they've been in that situation. That that was like, I was really at a rock bottom. And I think that subconsciously I was grasping at something to make me feel better. Mm. Yeah. So then what happened with the implants? I mean, what happened with your health? What brought you to yeah. this? So what I also want to make very clear in telling my story is that it wasn't just one thing in isolation. And I know that you talk about this a lot. And it's literally my, I my quote. Talk, yeah, I always talk about this a lot as well, because we have this mentality in Western medicine of being very reductionist and people want to find that, that one little mm. thing that caused everything. And oh, yeah. the body doesn't work like that. The body works holistically. Mm. So what happened is that then six months after I got the implants, uh, my marriage exploded. <laughs> it was not an easy, I, I mean, I don't, I'm sure no divorce is easy, but this one was particularly traumatic, aggressive, uh, toxic, <laughs> abusive, and it dragged on for a lot of years. It only just very recently actually came to a close um, six, seven years later. And then 18 months after that, I lost my brother. He killed himself. And that was again, like a really big shock very traumatic and so it was about four years ago so maybe um, a year and a half after my brother had died that I suddenly became very ill I had no idea what was wrong with me I couldn't understand what was happening I was exhausted all the time but like not not like, oh, I'm tired, I should go to bed early, or maybe mm. a nap would be nice. Like, literally, I, I could not function. My brain would just shut down. Sometimes I would literally just fall asleep. And I had things like sensitivity to noise and sound, like really bad brain fog. And which is, which I just want to say, like, was really unusual for you. And I remember you talking to me about the brain fog and the things. You're a really intelligent woman and you retain information. You've got really high cognitive function. So for you, it was, it, it was a real difference. You could see the disparity. Um, mm. I just want to kind of like, you know, highlight. It wasn't just like you were a little bit confused or a little bit tired. Yeah. It was a major disparity between yes. from what you were to, to what you were then. Exactly. I've my entire life, I've had an abnormally good memory, like you say, like very good cognitive function, and a lot of energy. Like I'm just mm. a very naturally a very energetic person. I love to do a lot of sports. You know, I'm not somebody that wants to sit around and be relaxed the whole day. I mean, I've also learned to find the balance <laughs> yeah. thanks to this whole experience. But yeah, so it really was a very stark difference compared to how I had been my whole life to suddenly feel like that and we did um I go to a homeopath and a naturopath um I don't do GPs <laughs> so with my well, homeopath <laughs> I wonder why <laughs> uh with my homeopath we did some blood tests everything came back normally like on paper I was perfectly healthy nothing was wrong and 
and I can remember saying to him, I was like, something is very wrong. Like, this is not normal. And I became really scared. And I started thinking maybe I had, um, my mom had what was at that time called yuppie flu when I was a kid. So my mom had yuppie flu. So I started thinking maybe this is something genetic. Maybe I, I got it from my mom. Maybe I have like Epstein-Barr or something like that. What's yuppie and flu? The, is it like glandular fever? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think today it's called ME. Which oh, ME. For, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. So back then it was very much dismissed. And that's why it was called yuppie flu. Um, wow. So the one day I went to my homeopath and, and I was so like in typical rain style, I was very determined to fix the problem, do something about it. I have to figure out what's wrong. And I went to my homeopath and he said to me, you have CPTSD and that's why you're sick. Mm. And I laughed. Can you just literally what that is? Yeah. Just for anyone will, who might not know. I will um, basically CPTSD is complex trauma as opposed to PTSD, which is that's the more sort of normal PTSD that people are familiar with, um, which happens from one very traumatic event. And then people become hypervigilant. So they go into a sympathetic state where they can't sleep. They've got high anxiety. They become very jittery. Um, so that's sort of like the, the normal thing that people are most familiar with and but just to get think, even more granular sorry just for anyone who doesn't know PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder just for anyone who's you. student yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and most people will think of war when they think of yeah. PTSD like war veterans yeah. so my my homeopath is very humorous like I love that about him he's always cracking jokes so when he said that I first started laughing I was like oh funny and then I looked at him and he was dead serious and I, and like in that moment, I was completely confused. I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. And I said, I don't, I don't understand. Like I haven't been in a war. I haven't been raped. Like, what do you mean? And then he explained to me what CPTSD and, is and that it, it was all of this trauma from everything I'd been through, including stuff from my childhood. So it was mm -hmm. this entire buildup of 30, dec 30 years of um, all of this smaller traumas that add up, add up, add up. And eventually my nervous system just shut down. So that was the diagnosis that I got at the time was that I, I had chronic fatigue syndrome caused by CPTSD. And he said to me, you need to stop trying to fix it because that's not how you're going to fix it. You need to just mm -hmm. let it be. Um, so this lasted for four months, which doesn't sound long at all. I mean, especially for somebody like yourself, who's had chronic illness for years and years, four months really doesn't sound that bad, but when you're in it, no, four it months does. is a lot. Yeah, it really is. And especially when you, you don't know if you're ever going to get better. That was the scariest part for me. I started thinking, is this the rest of my life? Is this how I'm going to live now? Um, Anyway, so I brought myself out of that shutdown state. So that's called a dorsal vagal state, where instead of going into sympathetic state, you're going to shut down. So your nervous system just like shuts down. That's why I was like just falling asleep. I mean, I was pretty much narcoleptic. My brain would just shut down. And I got myself out of that state using plant medicine. I did a San Pedro ceremony and it literally like woke up the neurons of my brain. I could physically feel how my brain woke up. We need a disclaimer here, though. 
<laughs> Please do not do this at home, children. No. Um, <laughs> do not, not engage in any sacred plant medicines without the guidance and tutelage of a very experienced shaman knowledgeable in plant medicines. Yes. Disclaimer exactly. over. And, you know, that it also speaks to my desperation. At that point, I was willing to try anything mm. just to feel normal again. So I, I literally felt better like overnight. I felt like myself again. Mm. And I thought that was that. I was like, okay, amazing. I'm better. Everything's cool. After some months, I would probably say maybe six months later or a year later, I kept on saying to Wesley, my partner, I feel okay. I feel fine. But it's like there's just something, something's not quite right. And I kept on saying, like, maybe my nervous system is still like, there's still something in there. Like, I still need to release this trauma. I still need to do some more healing. Like, something's not 100%. And then fast forward another year. So a year ago from now. Um, yeah, it was December. Jeez, I don't even know what year we're in. It was December 21. <laughs> <laughs> December 21. Um, I started deteriorating again and quite rapidly. Uh, the chronic fatigue came back full force and then all these other symptoms just started like piling on, piling on, piling on. Um, so that, that had probably been going on for like the last half of 2021 where it was just like another symptom, another symptom, another symptom. And round about November, December, I got to the point where I was like, something's not right at all. And um, just like intuitively, I thought to myself, maybe it's not such a great idea to have breast implants, considering that something's not right in my body. That was my first thought. Mm -hmm. Seeing as something is wrong in my body and I'm not well, maybe the breast implants are making it worse. Like maybe my body can't handle that right now. Um, because it was coming up to like seven years of having the implants. And at the time I was like, okay, well, I don't have money for this surgery. And, you know, I like my, I like my big boobs. Like I'll just leave them in for another three years. And then when it gets to the 10 year mark, I'll take them out. Mm. And then fast forward a little bit more and I was getting worse, getting more sick, getting more sick. And I, I started getting desperate again. I was like, I was not functioning. I, it was really a struggle just to get through each day and just, just to like do my job, look after my son and myself like I wasn't happy. I had no capacity for social life at all. Mm. So I, I never saw friends. I never went out and did things. I couldn't be out of the house at night. Definitely couldn't drive at night. Um, like even just driving my son to school, I didn't feel safe sometimes because I was so tired and like my eyes would just want to close and my brain was so foggy. Like it didn't feel safe to even drive my son to school. So that's the level of incapacitation that I'm talking about that every day felt like a fucking struggle and it was making me really depressed as well on top of all of that and so I, again I reached that point of desperation and the one night I was just sitting out on my own and I thought to myself what what is this breast implant illness thing that I've seen people mention like maybe I should just have a look at it and just consider it maybe it's contributing to whatever's wrong in my body so I went online and I started searching and I found groups on Facebook 
support groups for women who have experienced breast implant illness. And the sad reality is that that's the only place that you're going to find the information. You are not going to get this information from any doctor mm. except for a select few surgeons in the mm. States. No other medical professionals are talking about this. Yeah. So I started reading these women's stories, their own personal stories in these Facebook groups. And like I went down a rabbit hole for a couple of hours and I was in absolute shock. Like I was shocked mm. because even though I'd had this intuition that maybe the implants are contributing I hadn't up until that point considered it's actually the implants that are doing it. Can but I, can I, I butt in here? Yeah. Cause I remember when I, and I'll get into my experience of it as well. When you, when you've um, finished with yours, I remember when that holistic neurologist told me, you know, about the trigeminal neuralgia that it could be caused by the breast implants. And that was March, 2020. And I remember telling you about it and you were like, mm-hmm almost triggered by it because your breasts were like a part of you a, a part of I'm sure your identity and I it was it was funny because we were both a bit triggered by it and mm. I think both of us maybe forgot that part of like the seed was sown and then it mm. took a while for us to be like mm. uh, then the universe synchronistically sends the information because you've yes. been you, the seed has been sown yeah that we've heard about it and then the information starts coming through and I just remember that we were both quite triggered and it's funny because we forget those parts yeah so quite honestly I have zero recollection of that conversation really yeah that's and like so and that funny. that's um that is sort of typical for me from that those couple of years in my life I have massive gaps in my memory that's how bad me somebody who went from like having this incredible memory that allowed me to finish school when I was 15, going to, like, I can't remember things. Like huge gaps in my memory. Like my son would say something or Wesley would say something and I would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. When did that happen? So I don't remember that conversation at all, but it makes sense that I was triggered by it. I'm glad you remember that. No, because I just remember, I feel like there's always going to be gaps like in, our memories of how things went with anything. Yes, but I course. just remember speaking, you were like, and we were talking about our breast implants and it was a triggering subject for you. And I think there was so mm. much going on for you at the time as well. And it's like the thought also, you know, when you don't have the money to do it, it's like, yes. well, just fuck off because I can't think about that right now. So I don't want to exactly. know about that. Um, yeah, it's just interesting how we have these gaps in our memory depending on mm. what we are able to process at the time. Mm. And, you know, like when I when I first started thinking, so before this night where I actually went down the rabbit hole, like when I first just started thinking about it, I, I had many of those thoughts where I was like, I can't deal with this. Like mm. this can't be, take my boobs out? Like, are you mad? Then what? What am I going to look like after that? You know, so those were my first thoughts. But at that time, I was still, I was not well, but it wasn't like at, at its worst yet. So it was easy to dismiss it, yeah. you know, whereas when I started getting really ill and I became desperate, then I didn't care anymore. So when I had this massive epiphany by reading all these women's stories, because I was reading their stories and going, but that's me. Yeah. Like that symptom, which I didn't even actually realize is a real problem. Like that's been going on for me and that symptom and that symptom and that symptom. And so what I did was I sat down and I made a list of every single little symptom 
And the thing is, I didn't even realize, like I, I could tell you that, you know, I had chronic fatigue. I was feeling really shitty. I had this chronic back pain and really bad brain fog. Those were probably like what I would have said at the time. But when I actually sat down and I thought about it, like really thought about it, I realized this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. So Mm -hmm. I made this list and I couldn't believe when I got to the end of it that I had um, like 30 different symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then I went and found a list of the known symptoms of BII as reported by women who experience it and the couple of professionals that are working with them. Mm. And I compared the two lists and every symptom that I had was on the list. And that was when I knew in that moment, I had no hesitation, not even a second. I no Mm. longer cared about the size of my breasts or what they were going to look like. I was like, I just want to be better. I want this shit out of my body. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing to feel well again. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about stress and anxiety. Our bodies have not evolved to manage the level of stress we're faced with today, which means that we are constantly in fight or flight mode. And you'll feel this through anxiety and overwhelm, and also through your chronic health problems. Modern life breeds stress, which breeds disease. But if we want to be well, we have to lessen that stress ourselves. Now, I've personally been reducing my stress and overwhelm for nine months now using the Sensate. It's a small palm-sized device that sends infrasonic waves through the chest in order to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system, which is the body's command center. You use it while playing the specially composed hemispheric audio within the app, and the majority of people report feeling calmer after only a short session. Everyone I lend it to ends up buying one because of how much calmer they instantly feel. Now, I'm particularly recommending the Sensate to anyone who suffers from anxiety and wants help calming the nervous system, those who want to deepen their meditation practice, and people who are looking for ways to be calmer and more grounded. You can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code LAUREN30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com, LAUREN30. Thank you so much to Sensate for partnering with Recondition. Now back to the episode. And that was literally around the time where mine had been booked. And I remember you calling me and I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And this is how I'm making it work. And yeah, so synchronistic. So where are you now? Because it's not been a long time. Yeah. So I am now three, about three months post explants. I had my surgery at the end of September. And I feel like a new person. Yeah. Literally, I feel like myself again. And one, like because we've mentioned it a couple of times now, I'm going to bring it up. One of the most significant changes is that I have my brain back. Mm-hmm. I have my memory back. My mind is clear. I feel sharp. Like even just to sit here and chat with you is so much easier. You know, I have my own podcast. And last year, I was still doing episodes and interviewing people, but every single time it was so hard. Yeah. I like, I had to really dig deep to actually be able to put an episode Mm -hmm. together and stay focused and it was exhausting whereas now I feel like I can can just carry on for hours it's really empowering for anyone listening who just to know that it can you can feel better that quickly yeah so well done to you um so my experience and I'll try and do it as briefly as I can because I want to get onto, you know, um, all those symptoms, the ingredients, et cetera, et cetera. 
my experience was a little bit different because um so I, when I was regular listen, listeners of the podcast will know that when I was 18, I was put on a chemo based drug called methotrexate, um, which is what they give people with arthritis um, and other autoimmune conditions. And it's kind of like the main one they try you on first. Won't even go on into that and why that was so horrific, but nearly killed me. Um, but before the, before I started the drug, I was pretty like small chested, like what small breasted, what's the word? Like I don't want to say flat chested because that's like a insulting almost, but <laughs> I had really small boobs. I mean, they were like maybe a B cup, maybe um, slight asymmetry, but nothing to write home about. Like I remember always thinking, oh, they're not exactly the same size, but I remember reading Cosmopolitan once as a teenager and seeing that that was okay. And other people, other women had, you know, breasts that were different sizes. So um, I went on this drug and within 10 months, that the drug nearly killed me because it damaged my liver so badly. Um, one breast grew to double the size. This drug had so many effects on me, like losing my hair and all the other things that it did to me, including making the arthritis spread and not making me well, uh, better in any way. Um, but it made my breasts, my, my left breast grow to double the size. And so all of a sudden I have this B cup breast and this D cup breast. And it's really funny because we have a mutual friend in South Africa, Shelly, who I was in Israel with mm. around that time, just before the methotrexate. And she sent me a picture of us on the beach and um, one, and you can really see the difference. Like one boob has like a load of cleavage and it's really, you know, like pushed from the, 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 the bikini and the other one is totally flat. And actually I was really happy she sent me that because I don't have many pictures of my breasts to kind of show that. Um, so that's what happened there. So because in the UK, we have the NHS, the National Health Service, which is a quote unquote free because it's free depending on how you look at it, free at the point of entry. Um, they, because of what happened a few years later, the doctors basically had said, well, we'll offer you um, breast augmentation to fix this because, you know, if it was the drug that did this and it wasn't, you know, it's not like an aesthetic thing necessarily mm -hmm. or like a cosmetic thing. It was more of a, you know, I'd gone through everything I'd gone through, been wheelchair bound for two years from 18 to 20. And then here I was in my early twenties with two extremely different size breasts. And I was not okay with it, with everything, like all the emotional stuff of trying to just be normal after a childhood of not being normal. Mm -hmm. And then to have these completely asymmetrical breasts, it was not okay. Um, so it was spoken about for a while. And when it actually got done, I was, I think 20, 23 or 24, it was 2008, I think 23 or 24. And um, I remember having the consultation with the surgeon saying, uh, and, uh, you know, me asking, even at the time I knew, because obviously I was already on my journey. As soon as I'd come off that drug, I was on my journey to holistic healing from the age of 18. Like, okay, how am I going to heal myself? So I wasn't fully in remission, but I was on my journey. I was, you know, with homeopaths, I was eating well. I was doing, I was, I'd been meditating since I was 18. I'd been with, you know, holistic doctors and doing all the things. And just based on how my mum had always treated me with homeopathy and herbs and all, I, I was very connected to my body. Mm -hmm. So I always knew that when I had kids, I wanted a breastfeed. I always knew I wanted to go for a natural birth to really feel it. 
and to breastfeed. So I remember asking the surgeon at 23, will I be able to breastfeed? And he said, yeah, the only way you can't breastfeed is if we do a reduction. So what we'll do is instead of reducing the bigger breast, we'll implant them both to match them up. And I was like, do they both need to be implanted there? Can't we just implant the smaller one? He was like, well, they won't match. And then we want to lift them and da, 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 da. So it's like, okay, fine. We'll do what you've got to do to give me breasts that are going to make me feel normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I would say I was someone that was like, not judgmental of breast implants, but really not a fan of that look of like massive. And in, in the UK at the time we had, you probably don't know who she is. We had, there's a, a woman called Katie Price. She was known as Jordan. She was, know. oh, you do know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the ultimate page three girl and page three in the sun tabloid newspaper back in the day was um, topless women. So you'd open your tabloid news, you'd have like on the front what's going really? on with like the royals and then you'd open and page three as a topless woman. And <laughs> Katie Price was one of the ultimate top um, page three girls. And that's how she, you know, these people are known, like page three girl. And I remember her getting her breasts bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I never liked that look. I liked yeah. the look of natural looking breasts, even if they were implanted, maybe to look natural. So for me, I was very, very conscious about having breasts that didn't look natural, that looked fake. Mm. And I spoke to him about that. And I asked if there were any side effects or anything I needed to worry about being that I was trying to detox myself of this chemotherapy that had literally damaged every part of my body, like my bones, my organs, my everything, my my hair, my, my body's ability to function. And he was like, no, you've just got the regular risks of surgery, you know, infection. And I was given no risks or side effects that could be, you know, potential. Um, and told that I would be able to breastfeed with no problem. So I went ahead with it. I was very happy with the result. I, for the first time ever, felt like I just loved my breasts. I didn't love them. That's the wrong word. I liked how it looked and that I didn't need to, like I could go out with backless tops and, you know, I was like 20, whatever. And, you know, trying to get my life back and going to clubs and meeting guys and whatever. And, yeah. I remember being happy with them. They never felt like mine. And my breasts had never felt like my own because they were never from the age of 17, you know, it was kind of being just all this stuff that happened to me. And I just, it never felt like mine. So, you know, time went on and that was fine. And then I had babies and I started breastfeeding my son and I came across the worst breastfeeding problems I mean, I had a lactation consultant that said to me, I've been a lactation consultant for 15 years and I've never had to tell a woman to stop and give formula, but I'm telling you to stop breastfeeding. I'm advising you to stop breastfeeding. Mm. And you know me and you know my journey and that, that wasn't going to be a uh, an option for me because my children have my genetic predispositions to autoimmunity. So I knew that my number one thing was to first bring them into the world in a calm way and passing on all the essential microbiome and secondly to then breastfeed. Um, and every breastfeeding issue you could come across that is listed in the womanly art of breastfeeding book, which is the Bible for anyone wanting to breastfeed. Um, I had, I mean, things I'd never heard of before, like blebs, blebs and blisters. My, my blebs Blibs? are like, yeah, like these things that, um, that, that, that come at the end of your nipple that, um, the milk gets stuck into and you've kind of got to scrape it away. I mean, oh. I, my breasts were bleeding into my baby's mouth, blistered. Oh. 
I had mastitis, I can't, about four times with Brax mm. and seven times with Vida. I was in hospital with it. The fever was, the fevers were out of this world and I was having to breastfeed through it. It was just horrific. And for anyone listening going, well, why did you have to be a martyr? You should have stopped breastfeeding. Try growing up with an autoimmune disease and then having children and wanting to know that you're doing everything you can to make sure that you don't ever pass that on to them. Subsequently, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it will take too long, but years later when I went to um, talk about having the implants removed, I found out that the surgeon had done a reduction on the left breast and had removed breast tissue. So when the doctor who was examining when I had mastitis for the umpteenth time, whether or not he needed to drain um, fluid from the breast, um, when he was looking at it, he said, you've actually got damaged breast tissue. And I was like, oh, okay, that must have been from the surgeries, the surgery. And um, so my report said, and I'd never got the report, never thought to read it. The report said reduction on the left side, breast tissue was removed. So my breast, my milk ducts had been damaged on both sides mm. as well from the moving around of everything from the implants. So I was just absolutely mortified at what I had been put through by supposedly one of the top breast surgeons in the UK mm-hmm. um, who operated from the NHS, but also has a very well-known private mm. clinic. Um, and I was just absolutely mortified. And I was going through the motions with the hospital of, you know, I said, it's it's coming up to like 13 years or whatever. I need to have them taken out. I was waiting until I finished breastfeeding my daughter and I was waiting for her to finish and she decided to wean at two. So I was like, okay, let's get the wheels in motion. And I then had to fight the hospital to have them out. Even though they put them in and told me they needed to be replaced 10 to 15 years. I was like, I don't even want them replaced, you know? And they were like, yeah, but you know, if you, I said, I want them out and I want my breast to look normal. I said, I've breastfed two children through extreme conditions now at the hands of this surgery and I started with asymmetrical breasts. So I, this is not about vanity, but I am a woman and I deserve for these to be taken out and not just leave me with these baggy sacks, like do something with them, please, mm. because I deserve that. And they were like, no, we don't have the funding for that. And I was sending letters to the hospital saying like, I cost the NHS nothing. I don't even have an NHS dentist. I do everything myself. I got myself into room. If I was an arthritis sufferer from the age of two going through the motions of the conventional healthcare, sick care system, I would have cost you millions by now. So you can freaking do this surgery. Yeah. And they declined it and I had to appeal it and they declined the appeal. And then out of nowhere, the left breast swelled to double the size of the right one. Just out of nowhere. And that was like divine intervention, basically. Yeah something happening so that I could go to the surgeon and say, look what's happened, look at my breast. And he was worried that, um, I was worried that the implant had leaked. And it was this time that you and I had started talking about breast implant illness and we were sending each other reels and articles and stuff. I've missed an integral point actually, because to go back to when my the thing started with the trigeminal neuralgia in the jaw that I mentioned before and the holistic neurologist that I went to said to me, have you got anything foreign in your body? I was like, no, 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 no plates or caps. Or I was like, no, she goes, what about implants? I was like, oh, I do have breast implants. And her face aghast, like she was like, this is causing you toxicity. This is going to be contributing to the trigeminal neuralgia. She was like shouting at me. And I was like, and the neuralgia, the trigeminal neuralgia was the worst pain I've ever been through, worst 
one of the worst pains a human can go through. And obviously I was desperate. I was in such a state of desperation. I couldn't lick my lips. I couldn't swallow. I couldn't speak to my children. I couldn't do anything. And I was like, shit, I need to have them taken out immediately. And my daughter was still breastfeeding. So this was, you know, we were going through those motions and that's when I started, I went back to the clinic to kind of get the wheels in motion for when she had finished breastfeeding and she finished about six months later. And so anyway, when they declined it, um, then, you know, it swelled up and, um, and I was worried that it had leaked. And I also think, as you and I talk about energy a lot, that perhaps my energy of fear around it, and I remember me and you mm. speaking about it and us saying, I have to just be calm and not put the fear and the energy into them being toxic in me, because then I'm going to make it more toxic until I can get them out. Yeah. And being, and remembering like you said, it's never one thing in isolation. So I can't have this idea that the trigeminal neuralgia is completely created by toxicity of breast implants. Um, anyway, so he saw it and he was like, well, it's not leaking, but it's hardened on one side. And yes, we do need to remove them. And I'd gone through this huge complaint system with the hospital and I was about to take it further and he approved the surgery. And, um, so I had the implants removed on the 4th of August. Um, so like what, seven months ago, however long ago it was in 2022. Um, and the toxicity coming out my body, I think caused a huge, cause you know, when you're detoxing, you can get sick yeah, because your body's really like, you can eat and live how you want to live and your body sometimes just puts up with it. And it will be creating cancer cells and all sorts of stuff for later on, but you don't necessarily feel it at the time. When you're removing toxins from your body, you feel it. Yeah. And oh my goodness me, the pain in my jaw, the trigeminal neuralgia came back so horrifically for that whole month of August. I was just in such a state, um, you know, and this was recent and um, yeah, just horrific. And, but anyway, I remember thinking, when am I going to feel the effects of having them taken out and feeling well? Mm -hmm. Because I actually didn't personally suffer from the brain fog or anything like that. Um, however, I do put a lot of this down to the work I've been doing with my shaman, because since I've been working with him, my energy levels have gone up because mm -hmm. he works, as you know, in the dream time and he's in Sedona in Arizona. So he's I'm eight hours ahead of him. So when he's working, that's when I'm waking up. So that's when my energy levels increase. So for the people living in Sedona, they're up all night. <laughs> the ones that are working with him. And I know that sounds really kind of abstract and out there and woo-woo and esoteric, but I think that plays a part in it. But I didn't have the brain fog and stuff. However, again, just because you haven't gone through something yourself doesn't make it not true. So it's like when mm -hmm. I speak to people who have been you know, had an amazing experience with the NHS because they had an emergency. Like, you know, people who have had like really bad burns or something. Burns clinics in the NHS are incredible. Neonatal care in the NHS, incredible. Pretty much anything else other than an emergency or neonatal care, not so incredible, especially if you're in the system with a chronic illness. But you meet someone who's had severe burns, they're going to tell you the NHS is the best thing ever and you should support the NHS. And, you know, why are you this person who's not in support of them? And why are you moaning? You're so lucky and da da da. And I'm going to do everything the NHS tells me to do. And they go to that. And I've seen this. No, I'm going to take the medicines and do the vaccines and do all the things they're telling me because the NHS helped me in other ways. Just because one, per one thing isn't true for you doesn't mean it's not true for another person. And in exactly. my 
Yeah. And in my experience of watching, learning about health, learning about the body, I've seen many, many people experience things in very different ways to other people because we're all made up different genetically as well. So um, my experience was very different to yours, but my intuition about knowing that this toxicity was in my body and how strongly I felt about, am I passing that to my children through the breast milk? Because there is no Mm -hmm. way now that I believe that I wasn't. I just don't believe you can have something in your body, in your breast where you're producing milk and not pass some of that to the babies. Yeah. So here we are both explanted, (laughs) both for very different reasons and both with different experiences of it, but we've both done a lot of research on it. Uh, Apologies that that was supposed to be a nutshell and it wasn't at all, but (laughs) I just think it's important for everyone to understand where we're coming from. Yes. No, I think it's really important to like really color in the picture and share all of those personal details because, you know, I'm speaking out about it because I don't think there is enough awareness about it. And what I found to be powerful was when I was reading women's personal stories. So that's what I'm going with. I think it's very powerful when women actually hear the small little details of what you went through, because then they start to connect the dots and they start to realize, you know, Um, and it's like with anything, sorry, it's just, it's like with anything in healthcare, right? we're told not to believe patient experience. Patient experience holds no validity. The scientific studies hold validity, even though they may be fraudulent, even though there may be bias there, Mm -hmm. that's what holds validity. If the surgeon hasn't seen a research study that has shown this this to be true, then it can't be true. Don't forget the millions of people, don't worry about the millions of people talking about the other side of it, right? So this is where patient experience is so important. Yeah. And like, I just want to touch on the fact that your surgeon told you that he would not be doing a reduction, but then did. Mm. I mean, that is so incredibly unethical. He lied to you. And I had a similar experience. Remember I emphasized in my story how I very specifically asked for saline because Mm. I thought at the time that saline was safe and silicone wasn't. So when I came out of my surgery now, a couple of months ago, the surgeon came to me like literally as I came out of anesthetic. So I was still very confused. Didn't know what was going on. By the way, I had a very profound out-of-body experience as I was coming out. So I was told, like, wrapping my head around that. And she came up to me and she was like, everything went very well. We got them out. We removed the capsules. uh, But your implants were silicone. Wow. Yeah. And then, so, like, maybe an hour or two hours later when I was back in my room and was more compass mentis, um, she came back. And the first thing I said to her, I was like, did I dream that you told me my implants were silicone? And she was like, no, that I came and told you that. And she showed me the implants. She showed me that they were silicone. So once again, so incredibly unethical, my surgeon lied to me. And you and I are unfortunately not the minority. Yeah, of course. And I mean, how would you know? How Like neither of us knew. We had no no idea because you don't know what's going on when you're under general anesthetic and they're operating on you right and this is the importance of informed choice and that's why this episode is for everyone to listen to not just women going through you know breast implant illness or women who have got um implants this is about informed choice we literally hand our lives over to physicians without them having all the information let alone us so it's up to us to do the digging so let's go through some of the symptoms 
that women are suffering from. So do you, do you want me to read through my list of symptoms? Yeah. And then you it. can fill in the gaps, totally. the other additional symptoms that some women experience. And again, like, I love what you said about just because you haven't experienced it doesn't make it not true. Like I get right. that so often when, when I first started sharing about this with friends, I was really taken aback by the response that I got. Because, of course, it's very triggering for people. Especially but, if you've got friends who have implants. They don't want to, yes, they might not want exactly. to hear about it. It's and triggering. The, the most common thing is, oh, but I have implants and I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. so happy for you that you're <laughs> fine. I'm not fucking fine at all. Right. <laughs> you know. Okay. So let's start. It's a long list. Um, chronic fatigue syndrome, brain fog, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to sound, memory issues, uh, skin pigmentation. I had an inability to process alcohol. So I think my liver was taking a lot of strain, maybe my kidneys as well. well your liver was trying to process the toxins from, and when yes. we read the ingredients, you'll understand, we'll all understand why, you know? Yeah. So even now I still can't drink alcohol. Um, I know that this one might sound frivolous and silly to a lot of people because we're going to be like, oh, but all women have cellulite. I just genetically... I don't get cellulites. Like my whole life, I've never had cellulites. And when I started seeing cellulites on my thighs, to me, that was an indication that my liver is not functioning properly. My body's not detoxing as it normally mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. So I know that might not, not be Not enough a thing drainage. For everyone, you aren't getting enough yeah, drainage. Exactly. Lymph drainage, all of that. Yeah. So for me, that was an indication that something was off in my body. Um, I had spells of temperature dysregulation. So I would get extremely cold and have like, uncontrolled shivering and it might be a day like today where you see how likely I'm dressed so it wasn't in the middle of winter heart palpitations which was quite scary uh, sinus issues which I've never my whole life I've never had any sinus mm. issues shallow breath uh, weight gain which I actually know in hindsight I think was really just like swelling from inflammation rather than mm. actual weight gain and then the next one is inflammation, which came with chronic pain. Um, towards the end, that actually started being pain in my joints. Mm -hmm. I had this weird insatiable thirst and a strange metallic taste in my mouth. Mm. So no matter how much water I drank, I would still be really, really thirsty. I had reduced immunity, so I'd get sick frequently. Mm -hmm. I would often get not a full-blown UTI, but I had like a very irritable bladder. Like it would flare up every now and then. Um, I was having unexplained nausea for no reason. And again, I think that was my liver. Uh, started having very slow recovery after exercise, which for me was a big deal because I've been very active my whole life, done a lot of sports, and I had to stop most mm -hmm. of them. I had vertigo sometimes. Uh, I've written here low libido, but really no libido. Mm. Uh, I had this weird thing with my eyes uh, where they would get like dry and sore and my eyes would just like uncontrollably blink abnormally frequently. Mm. Uh, I had a definite difference in the quality of my skin and like the elasticity of it so like a loss of collagen and I'm not just talking about my face like this included unexplained vaginal tearing hemorrhoids and anal fissures on a regular basis which mm -hmm. is not fun um, I had a very big change in the texture of my hair um, my whole life I've had really amazing hair just genetically blessed that way 
and it became dry and brittle and just mm-hmm. horrible, which made me chop it all off. Um, and then I had muscular and joint pain, specifically in my lower back, my glutes, my hips, ankles, wrists, and neck towards the end only that started happening. But that lower back and glute pain that I had for about a year, um, chronically, like never went away. I was in pain every day. I now think that that was my kidneys. Yeah. Uh, then I had dark circles under my eyes. I had gut issues, acid reflux, restless leg syndrome, abnormally frequent urination. Like sometimes I'd have to get up four or five times in the night to wee. I had this very weird symptom, which I haven't seen written anywhere, of um, itchy palms. And I actually recently, I think like towards the end or maybe just after my surgery, I was like, I need to understand what this is. I asked my homeopath. He couldn't explain it. So I put out a message on my social media and I was like, has anybody else experienced this? And I got a woman coming back to me saying, yes, she's got the same symptom with breast implant illness. That's so weird because I had that and I've never never put that. Yeah. It was so weird. I Um, used to get, but it was like, not so much itchy, but my hands and feet would feel boiling hot. Like they were burning, like they were on fire. And I'm someone that's always got cold extremities. Mm. So it's interesting. And then uh, a friend of mine also explanted just after me, also had BI symptoms. She had the opposite of what you just explained. She would, um, there's a specific name for it, but I can't remember now, but the, the ends of her fingers. Like Raynaud's? Yes, Raynaud's there. So the end of her fingers would go ice cold and like have yeah. no blood flow and go blue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's obviously, it's something to do with circulation and yeah. lymph drainage. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I got this rash under my eye. It was a very small little area um, that I had this rash, but it just wouldn't go away. Nothing that I put on it was helping. And that, that disappeared. It started going away two hours after my surgery. Wow. And then I so also your body had, was able to detox very quickly, whereas mine, yeah, which makes sense because it does make sense. You, yeah, like with our histories, you've never had autoimmunity, thank exactly. God. You've always had quite strong immunity. You've been quite resilient. You've got like resilient yeah. genes. If you look at your background and your yes. genes, mine not so much. Um, and so me, the detoxing was more of the issue afterwards mm-hmm. than even my body was presenting with when it was inside. It's very interesting. Yeah. And then I also had very strong odor from one armpit, but not the other. Same. Do you remember oh, we you were speaking it about well? it? Don't you remember we were speaking about it on our WhatsApp group? But <laughs> a lot of us thought that it was something else, remember? <laughs> and then um, other, I'm, I'm going to mention a couple of other symptoms that I had, uh, which was hormonal disruptions, mid-cycle spotting, uh, very strong sugar cravings. And then I've already mentioned the hemorrhoids, vaginal tearing, which would happen one week before my period. So that's why I thought maybe it's hormonal. Um, And I was having very painful periods and like inflamed breast tissue um, just before my period. Those last few symptoms that I just mentioned dissipated when I removed my IUD, which I did a few months before removing Mm. my implants. Take note, take note, women listening. I think it's worth mentioning that as well. Yeah. Any listen, the thing is, and we'll, we'll go into this now into the ingredients as well. Anything foreign we put in our bodies, I don't care tell you, I don't care which GP, which doctor, which best surgeon in the world tells you it's totally safe. When you put some, you know, a client messaged me yesterday saying, I'm gonna get an IUD. What do you think? My answer is always this. 
Whenever you put anything in your body that does not belong in your body, your immune system is going to treat it as a foreign invader. Your immune system will kick into action. If you happen to have any genetic predisposition to autoimmunity, it will trigger, it will be the catalyst that triggers an autoimmune response. Mm. There is no two ways about it. So you can get an, I, an IUD in, you can get breast implants in, and you might not see any immediate you know, reaction that you can necessarily link straight back but things will start happening when your body starts rejecting it. And this is potentially the biggest point of anything to do with health. None of these things will ever give you immediate answers, immediate feedback, right? So it's like, you know, I recorded a reel yesterday about the dangers of Bluetooth headsets. I spoke about it like two years ago and I on like a written post and I thought, well, everyone just wants videos now. So I'm going to redo that as a video, reading it out. And then at the end, I just said, like reading out the um you know the effects and the the dangers of it but at the end I said listen you're not going to be able to trace back that this thing that happened to you was to do with bluetooth headsets because as you said it's never one thing in isolation if you live on a mountain in the Himalayas eating fresh food with the fresh air and you're meditating every day and everything is non-toxic but you're using bluetooth headset you'll probably be fine you'll probably live till you're 100 but if you are using bluetooth headsets being surrounded by Wi-Fi all the time, eating crap food that's got preservatives and rubbish in it, not grown organically, you're not meditating, you're in high states of stress, you're constantly exposed to artificial blue light, you're not getting enough exercise. Those levels of EMFs are going to affect your brain and your cellular function. So like Mm. with this, the same thing, you know, you have something toxic that doesn't belong in a body put in your body, your body will try and reject it. And you might not see immediate feedback of that, but that along with other lifestyle factors will play a part. So, yeah, I, I love everything that you just said. And I think it's really important to emphasize because you're like, first of all, what you said about any foreign objects activating mm-hmm. your immune system, that's what all of this boils down to because people want to argue about silicone versus saline. Right. Right. And that is a fallacy. And there are real issues with silicone, um, which are actually now starting to come out. They're showing that silicone bleeds at above a certain temperature and body temperature is too hot. So when it's in your body, it does leak. Yeah. Um, But we'll get, I want to get onto that that in a minute once we go through the, but even like, let's pretend for just a moment that that's not an issue. Yeah. It's still a massive foreign object that you're putting into your body. And that's why so many of the symptoms of BII look like autoimmune disease. And as you said, many of the women that are experiencing this, the implants actually trigger an autoimmune condition that they had a genetic predisposition to. Mm -hmm. And that's why for some women, when they take their implants out, like myself, we get better very quickly. Mm -hmm. And for other women, unfortunately, they take their implants out and it's still years to recover. Right. Because Because if you don't have that resilience and that strong immunity, you know, if if you are in any way genetically predisposed to autoimmunity, it is going to take your body a long time to get rid of it. Because the immune when you've got autoimmunity, your immune system is constantly attacking itself and attacking anything it thinks it's is, you know, potential danger. Now, I would go so far so far as to say that your symptoms were almost a blessing and were a sign of how good your immune system is because your body was trying to detox. 
very mm-hmm. quickly and very effectively with all the things it was experiencing right whereas with some people it's just kind of the body's like taking it in because it's so used to taking in all these toxins mm. i i would agree fully i'm grateful for the experience that i went through as hard mm-hmm. as it was because if not i would have kept the implants in maybe who knows i would have replaced them mm. in a couple of years you wouldn't i wouldn't have let you <laughs> <laughs> probably not probably not but i'm just saying like you know I, i'm glad that i got that sick that it made me realize just how bad this is because i really because of the lifestyle that i live i really had an understanding i was like it wasn't a great idea that i went and got implants like that that wasn't the smartest decision that i've ever made but i like the way they look and it's okay i'm fine until i wasn't fine mm. um and the other thing i wanted to touch on which we're talking about you know it not being one thing in isolation an image that i really love is um, and i got this from somebody that i had on my podcast dr megan medina she talks about the toxic bucket and your toxic load yeah so if you can visualize a bucket and you throw some toxins in and you're okay but then you throw some more in and eventually the bucket gets full and it spills over right and that's what happened for me yes and that's why i spoke about um the CPTSD, because what I believe happened in my body is that because I am genetically strong and I've always been healthy, I got the implants and things were fine. But then I went through a massive trauma and I went through another massive trauma and then my body just couldn't handle it anymore. And then things just started unraveling from there. It was all downhill. Yeah. And that's why, you you know, when women say, oh, but I have implants or so-and-so has implants and she's fine, she's healthy. Yes, but is she still going to be healthy in 10 years? Right. And also, is she still healthy? Because this is like when people say, you know, when when people, and often it's just a a trigger because they don't like you and I, we didn't want to know at that time. Maybe I didn't Mm. have the money to do it or whatever. You don't want to hear about it at that time. I like my implants and I don't want to hear about it. But it's a bit like when I talk about my personal experience with vaccine injury, being injured by a vaccine, you know, at 18 months and subsequently having to live with rheumatoid arthritis for the rest of my life. That's my real experience. And people will come Mm. back and go, well, my kids have had vaccines and they're fine. Mm. But what's fine? Let's look at our metrics for fine. Because number one, there might be things happening that actually aren't fine. You know, viral infections happening a lot, whatever it might be. And also, let's not forget that some of the people who live the most unhealthy lifestyles appear fine right now. But the Mm -hmm. buildup of things happening at a cellular level in their bodies is going to explode at some point not with chronic fatigue or something that can be remedied with the right lifestyle and with, you know, removing foreign objects and the rest of it, but, you know, metastasizing into something very not nice, you know? So you might feel fine, but what else is going on beneath the surface that you're not feeling? And if you are not at that place of interoception where you truly understand your body and know your body and feel your body inside out and understand what's happening in it, perhaps living in that lifestyle and continuing to live it, you just don't feel what's going on on the inside. It doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm. Like you and I, I will know when we're going to get ill, like yes. that, like days before. Yeah. I love that word, interoception. Same. And that's exactly what I, I just want to do. Like mirror back everything that you said, because let's even like, let's take the implants away because I know that this is very triggering, but like even just if, if I talk to friends or clients about um you know like how to improve their lifestyle to have better quality of life Mm. and often you get this response of like oh but i'm fine 
yeah, unhealthy. Yeah, so I don't need to right. do that. I don't need to go to that extreme. Yeah. But in the very next breath, they'll be complaining to me about their insomnia or their anxiety or they can't lose weight or this right. or that. And then I'm just staring at them like in shock because right. there is no like no recognition of self like you've just told me that you're absolutely healthy and fine you don't need to change anything mm. and now you're complaining about everything that's wrong with you mm. so I just want to invite yeah. people to really look to step into interoception yeah like really look at your body and your health and how you're feeling in your body before you just make this blanket statement of I don't need to change anything in my life I'm fine mm. I think it just shows where we're at as a society with expecting to be fixed. You know, we won't do anything to prevent ill health. We'll wait till that happens and know that there's a doctor in a hospital and a whatever to fix that when it happens. Um, and that is our biggest problem in society because if, from my opinion, because if everyone was living through an, a preventative approach, optimizing their health and their life every day, that would filter out into every single facet of society in this planet. People would be living more sustainably. People would be feeding their children healthier foods. People would be reconsidering all the pharmaceuticals they take and give their children. People would be, you know, using homeopathy and herbs and food, you know, natural medicines as a first port of call, as opposed to waiting for kids to get ill, taking them to the doctor, giving them antibiotics, which is not just damaging the microbiome of your child, but actually everyone else's micro microbiome because we're all connected. Anyway, like we said before, a different subject for a different day, but yeah, it's about taking responsibility for our own well-being. So just to touch on, you've probably mentioned all of them. And I cannot believe the extensive list of symptoms you had. Um, but the most common ones that women are reporting are chronic fatigue, joint and muscle pain, brain fog, hair loss, insomnia, symptoms of thyroid dysfunction, anxiety, skin rashes, depression, dry eyes, GI issue, uh, uh, gastrointestinal issues, persistent viral infections, headaches, ear ringing. Now it's funny what you said about restless leg syndrome, because I did have that as well. So it's like symptoms that, you know, when you go, oh, I'm fine. Well, actually when someone else is mentioning them, you're like, well, actually I did have these. Now that could just be lack of magnesium or bad absorption of magnesium, but restless leg syndrome, the heat in the hands, all these things that, you know, could very well be impacted. And then Researchers have linked silicone implants, we'll get onto saline in a second, researchers have linked silicone implants with higher rates of, I can never pronounce this, pronounce this properly, so apologies, but Schrodinger's syndrome, which is dry eyes and dry mouth, dry mouth. Um, scleroderma, scleroderma, rheumatoid arthritis, stillbirth, melanoma, loss of period, shortness of breath, nodules on the thyroid, swollen lymph nodes on the neck, debilitating fatigue, neurological symptoms such as brain fog and memory problems, symptoms of hormonal imbalance, multiple food intolerances, severe IBS, uh, and relentless body pain after even small amounts of activity. Now, these are things that researchers have actually linked directly with silicone implant, implants. And again, why specifically symptoms like these, it doesn't matter really what the symptom is. It's the fact that your body's trying to get something out. It's trying to tell you something. It's trying to detox. So swollen lymph nodes, that's the body trying to release, trying to eliminate. 
IBS, the body's trying to eliminate food tolerances. All of it is the immune system kicking in to try and protect us. And, you know, we're given information about the risks of the surgery, but I don't know one woman that was given any information about these risks. Um, another one. Check yeah, quickly. Can you hear the weed cutter in the background? No. Okay, good. Because it's really loud. <laughs> but as long as you can't hear it, it's fine. I can't hear it. Um, We're all good. Yeah, so I just want to jump in here quickly uh, with what you just said about not being warned about this. Mm -hmm. When I first became aware of this, I thought, oh, this is a new thing. That's why I was never told. That's why I'm only hearing about it now. It's only coming out on social media now. And then right after my explants, I went to my writing group and I told them that I'd been through the surgery. And one of my friends in the group said to me, yes, I got my implants 40 years ago. <gasps> and it was right after I got my implants that women started talking about this. So women have been talking about this wow. for 40 years and have been ignored. Yeah, just uh, uh, there's actually I'm just reading here on my notes that um, a study published in JAMA in 2021 showed that virtually all silicone breast implants lead to some form of breast implant illness toxicity and cases of breast implant related cancer are more than double what the FDA are reporting or even aware of. Now, I would go so far to say a bit like with vaccine injury less than 1% of vaccine injury is actually reported. So I, I would probably take an empirical guess that breast implant related cancer is more than that. And actually they have reported, uh, researchers have come up with um, squamous cell carcinoma, which is a type of lymphoma, is now linked to the capsules around implants. Now you were the one who made me aware of the capsules. So let's very briefly mm -hmm. talk about that so people are aware. Yeah, really important subject to make women aware of if they're gonna go for an explant surgery you must make sure that the surgeon understands, is willing and capable of removing the capsule along with the implant. So the capsule is the scar tissue that forms around the implants. Now, a lot of surgeons will tell you that this is bullshit and that it's not mm -hmm. true and that you don't need to remove the capsule. But women's experience is that if you don't remove the capsule, sometimes they remain ill. And then if they go for a second surgery and they remove that scar tissue, then they get better. Mm -hmm. So I decided for myself, I'm, I'm not taking the risk. And how can I, so what happened to me is I went to one surgeon um, to have a consult. And when I told her that I, I believe my implants are making me ill, her eyes just sort of went blank. Like, eye contact broke. She looked off to the side, said nothing. And after a pause of like 10 seconds, just carried on talking as though I'd said nothing. Mm -hmm. And she told me, I don't need to remove the capsules. Mm. It's really not necessary. And then I went home and I was like, but how can I believe you? If you don't acknowledge breast implant illness, if you couldn't even acknowledge my experience and my pain that I'm going through, Right. Why would I believe you when you tell me that I don't need to remove the capsules? Right. So I found another surgeon, surgeon, sorry, who does acknowledge breast implant illness. And it was literally a night and day experience. When I sat down for the consult, she said to me, right, tell me what your symptoms are. And she wrote the whole long list down in my file. So I would really, I know that that's not going to be possible for everyone, depending on where you are in the world. But if you can find a surgeon 
who acknowledges BII because they will be the ones who are willing to go to the extra lengths of removing the capsule, which is going to be really important towards your full recovery. Mm. And I would say that even like I get like when you're in with a surgeon and things are going ahead and you, maybe you've got a date and you've paid for a consultation or whatever it might be, or, you know, (laughs) heaven forbid, if you're doing it on the NHS, then once you're in, like, you just don't want to get out because it could take a year, still find another surgeon. Yeah. Because my surgeon literally acknowledges nothing, barely speaks to me, barely answers my questions, has no, I told you that I showed you the reply I got about the capsules. So, you know, it's, um, it can be dangerous. I want Yeah. And if you, you know, if you understand, there are studies that are now showing that silicone leaks yep. at body temperature. Yep. So if you know that, if you accept that fact, then doesn't it make perfect sense that as the scar tissue is growing and forming around the implant, once you've had it put in, if the silicone is leaking out, those toxins are going to get trapped in that capsule, in that scar mm-hmm. tissue. And of course, again, like I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a surgeon. This is just my, as a woman who has gone through this, this is what makes logical sense in my mind. Those toxins are now trapped in that scar tissue. So you take the implant out, but now you've still got those toxins left in your body because you left the capsule. Mm-hmm. And Which then in addition to that, I would point. even say that maybe that scar tissue also, your body might recognize it as a foreign object because it's not meant to be there. Right. Right. And then you've got the autoimmune conditions and all the symptoms that would have been there with the implants themselves still there because of the capsules. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great point. So just to go through some of the ingredients, just so people understand, because when we say these things are leaking and leaching into your body, talc. Right, we know the risks associated with commercial talc because of the traces of asbestos. So if you've got talc in there, you've got asbestos in you. Denatured alcohol, xylene, a known neurotoxin, methyl ethyl ketone, a known neurotoxin, ethyl acetate, a known neurotoxin, acetone, a known neurotoxin. Right, you take off nail varnish <laughs> with acetone, you know just from breathing in how toxic it is. Ethyl oxide, a known carcinogen. Benzene, a known neurotoxin and carcinogen, found to cause cancer in sunscreens. Formaldehyde, banned from shampoo for being too toxic, but hey, let's inject it into us and put it in our breast implants. Dichloromethane, carcinogen. I've got a list here of 37 ingredients um, that are known toxins that appear in um, silicone implants. So let's talk about saline implants. Because many women think they're safe because they're filled with salt and water. It actually turns out the Mm. saline implants can be just as dangerous because they're not hermetically sealed. So they're not airtight. Mm. So with their filling valves aren't 100% secure. So why is this bad? It means that bodily fluids, yeast, molds, bacteria, et cetera, et cetera, can all enter the implant, which then leads to decay. And that decay is going to filter out into the body. Yeah. Exactly. So then women with saline implants will often have the symptoms of mold toxicity. Right. Lime. And then when they remove the implants, you can actually physically with the naked eye, see the mold floating around in the implants. And then in addition to that, let's not forget that the shell of the saline implants is still made of silicone. Mm-hmm. 
like now I look back and I think, well, what was I thinking? I was like, so adamant that silicone is so bad. I do not want silicone implants. I must have saline, but the shell that holds the saline is still made from silicone. Yeah. We kind of hear what we want to hear when yeah, it suits us, you know, and what we're capable of hearing at the time. Right. And, and that's probably a really good point to try and end on, Yeah, you know, in terms of None of this is for fear-mongering. None of this is to put shame on anyone. I think it's important that you and I, and I'm good that you and I have both been through this ourselves so people can see it's not coming from a place of judgment and that we are not ready to hear certain things at certain times. And um, that is just the nature of our journeys as cosmic beings living this human experience. Um, But when you are given the information, for example, if you're listening to this podcast, you've never had a breast implant illness before, and perhaps you have implants or you're thinking of getting implants, see this as a message from the universe. Mm. Absolutely. And that's, that's why I'm sharing very vulnerably and openly about my journey, Mm. even though I never wanted to publicly talk about the fact that I got implants in the first place. Right. Cause even that's like shameful if you're living this like yeah. holistic lifestyle and then you're like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I don't tell anyone yeah. I have implants. Right. But, but this is all about what you know at the time when mm-hmm. you know it, like it's okay to have made wrong decisions when you didn't know any better and then know better and then try and work on healing from yeah. that. That's why I feel compelled to just talk about it as much as I can, because even if this prevents one woman from getting implants in the first place or helps one woman who is suffering Mm -hmm. to go, oh, this is what's wrong with me. I can actually fix it. This is not a life sentence. Then it's worth it. Totally. hundred percent. I think we've covered everything. Is there anything else that you think we've, missed out um yeah I think we've done a really good job of covering everything like on a practical physical level but I also just like briefly briefly in closing want to touch on the fact that this is a huge subject for women on an emotional level as well and on an energetic level and you know something that really hit me um like a couple of days after I had this big realization that I needed to remove the implants and that's what was making me ill. I was in the shower. I always have my best thoughts in the shower. And I was just thinking about how differently would women see their bodies if implants had never been invented, Mm. if there was no such thing and all women had their natural breasts, Mm. we would view ourselves, our bodies and our breasts so completely differently. Mm -hmm. And So I just want to encourage everyone to really think about that and think about how what your perception of what a beautiful breast looks like has been influenced by what we see in movies and in magazines. And because it's become so normalized to have breast implants, we we have this idea in our minds of what a breast looks like and it's wrong. That's not what a breast is actually supposed to look like. So I would really encourage everyone to just like, spend a little bit of time thinking about that and try to reframe how you view a breast and what it is meant to look like so that we can all start to embrace our natural bodies more and pass that on to the next generation instead of perpetuating this ridiculous ideal of 
a perfection that it, like it's not even natural that's not how we're supposed to look no unfortunately even you and I are contributing to that now from having re- removed our implants yes and having our breasts lifted as a result exactly. of having implants yeah. so we don't have natural breasts even though we've got yeah. had our so like again now. no judgment like, we're contributing w- yeah to that myth of you know a normal breast because just because we don't have implants doesn't mean our breasts are are natural now you know because we've had them taken out and had them remodeled yeah yeah (laughs) so we're actually contributing to that but I guess for anyone listening to this who maybe has young girls young boys as well like let's come on mums let's teach our boys about what the female form really looks like before it's been perfected on Instagram and TikTok and filters Mm -hmm. and the rest of it you know it's just as important to teach our boys about this which is why I am naked so much in front of my son scars Mm -hmm. and flab and cellulite and whatever else is there I just want him to know that that's normal I don't want him to ever just want the skinny girl with the good boobs you know Mm. Oh, deep, deep stuff. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I don't know anyone else who would have been as perfect to go through this very important subject as you have been. I'm really happy that we did this because I've been trying for the last six months to start having this conversation on my podcast and I'm really struggling to get people to talk about it. The people who are knowledgeable on it are insanely busy because Mm. they're running around helping women with this all day Mm -hmm. and then like the average woman who's gone through it is maybe not as confident and willing to just be honest and open about it so Mm -hmm. yeah this is actually the first podcast I've done about it but I'm hoping to do more well I think this is a nice balance that you and I are not professionals in this and we're not you know just it's actually good that we're coming at this both as being people who are in the health industry so we research a lot you know, able to acknowledge the importance of patient experience. Um, so I think actually we're the ideal people to talk about this. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my love. Thank you so much. It's always so good to see your face and have a chat. If you haven't yet heard, I have just released a free yes free journaling course. If you've always wanted to try journaling but just don't know where to start or you've been hearing how powerful journaling can be but you just don't understand why or you want to create a daily practice that enhances your life but you just need a little support in doing that without it costing you anything, this course will do all that for you. It is packed with content that will show you just why journaling is important, how to do it, where to start and how to make it work for you. It is completely free and that is as a way for me to pay it forward because journaling really is one of the most integral parts of my growth practice and I want to give that to you. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes to get the course sent directly to your inbox. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness.
Now, don't forget, I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk, as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate appreciate you. Reconditioned is proud to be working with Women for Women International, a charity that supports women survivors of war in eight war-torn countries around the world. You can help a woman survivor of war transform her life today by visiting womenforwomen.org.uk forward slash donate.